Hey, what's up, fam? Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan. Today is the second episode of a mini series on marriage. Um, if you have, if you're just starting to listen to to this marriage series, please go back and listen to the first one where we talked about the natural and divinely revealed uh, beauty of marriage. And so this episode is going to be kind of building on that first one. So that first one is needed to listen to it, but because now building on the principles that we discussed in the first episode, this episode we're going to be talking about sexual moral issues. So from the very first episode, we saw from a natural perspective that the sexual act in its very nature has the end of union, bringing closer together the man and the woman, and procreation. The end of the sexual act is the potential of new life. Men's sperm has no use of its own, (laughs) by itself, right? And I actually just learned that it's still absorbed completely into a woman's body instantaneously if a sperm is not utilized to fertilize an egg. And it gives nutrients to the woman's body to support a future life inside of her. And this actually uh, can avoid or prevent future issues or difficulties upon conception of sperm to an egg to support the life and to give health to the woman's body and to the baby. And a woman's uterus is literally made for the sole purpose of supporting another life. It is for another life. So those two things together, naturally, the very ends is naturally called towards unitive of bringing them closer together and procreation, right? And so as we will see, when either of those ends of unitive and procreative are thwarted, the act becomes disordered because it no longer is working towards its natural ends, but is directly contradicting what it's naturally intended for. For another example of this, a doctor whose natural intention or end is to improve one's health, but let's say the doctor directly thwarts it. The act that what he is doing becomes intrinsically disordered because it's not going towards the natural end of what he's supposed to be doing. His natural end is health, is to making somebody healthier. Another example, food, it tastes great, but the natural intention or end of eating is to nourish one's body. And when that is directly thwarted, it is intrinsically disordered because it's no longer going towards or meeting its natural ends of nourishing the body, right? So we can see here just this common this common theme. And so it is with sex. If a couple has sex while intentionally thwarting its procreative end, it follows that they contradict its objective meaning or in other words, they falsify the meaning of the sexual act by making a procreative act non-procreative. Therefore, it's intrinsically disordered and it contradicts the very act itself. So we don't want to do that, right? So anything that thwarts this natural end of sex, such as the use of contraception, the act becomes inherently disordered and wrong. But not only, because we just kind of talked about the procreative being thwarted, but not only does contraception prevent the procreative ends, but it also thwarts the unitive end, and we lie to each other when we use contraception. The very act of sex is expressing in our bodies to each other what words cannot explain, which is, I love you to the point of a complete self-gift of all of me. All of me is all capitalized. So I can say verbally, I love you. I can I say it all the time. I Sometimes I probably say it too much. I say it to friends, family, strangers, coworkers, whoever. But 
this love that I have for my wife is on a completely other level and it cannot merely be expressed by words. So, and when there is any barrier between that self-giving love and that marital embrace of complete self-gift, when there is any barrier in the act of sex, such as a condom, the pill, pulling out uh, an insert or anything else, our bodies are actually lying to each other because what we're communicating with the sexual act is that I love you completely and fully, but with contraception, we're actually communicating that we love that I love you, but just for the pleasure of what you can provide me in this moment. And I actually reject the total self-gift of myself and I reject your fertility and therefore rejects the total self-gift of you. And this is where we begin very fastly to slide down to the point of using each other, using people as objects and not as the ends of love that they deserve and were created for. And just for another example of how our bodies communicate to each other, if I know somebody really close, really close, I'll give them a big hug. And I think everybody does that. But if you are just meeting somebody, you'll usually shake shake their hand or you kind of like do the, the butt out hug, you know, <laughs> like not too close. If you're on a public form, like if you're on public transportation, somebody that you know, you don't mind when they're like really close to you, right? Like you're comfortable with them. A stranger, you're like, Ugh, dude, can you step away? Because our bodies communicate a reality, an inward reality of our hearts for and to one another, right? So... This very truth that we've been talking about can be expressed naturally, as we just did, but it also has been fully and divinely revealed and expressed by Jesus, his self-gift of love on the cross for his church to sweep us up into the eternal Trinitarian love of self-gift. And with that revelation of Jesus, as Christians, we are called even more so to this great gift of complete self-giving in our marriages because we have the fullness of revelation in Jesus who is life itself, right? So which is uh, that call for us is to imitate the love of Christ for his church, which is fully giving, holding nothing back, including our fertility. And so this shows that not only on the natural level, the inherent disorder, but we are also contradicting God's plan for us and the divinely elevated love of husband and wife. And when this happens, the consequences are detrimental and they're huge. And we see this in very recent history. Up until the 1930s, every single Christian church taught in accordance with the historical and orthodox tradition of Christianity that contraception is immoral. It's wrong. Which, by the way, contraception is not new. It's been around in different forms for thousands of years, dating at least back to the 1900 BC. So in 1930, when the culture of the world began using more and more contraceptions, churches began relooking at this issue. And in the year 1930, the Anglican Church at the Lambeth Con- uh, Conference they began permitting the use of contraception. They made a decision that contraception is no longer no longer immoral, but it's moral. So people can use it in marriage. And soon every Protestant church followed. But guess what was the one church that did not cave into the ways of the world? The Catholic Church. The Catholic Church still declared that contraception is intrinsically disordered 
and is an intrinsic evil that contradicts the very nature and dignity of human beings. This fact of history has actually brought a lot of people into the church, such as Scott Hahn and his wife. This played a major role in their conversion to the Catholic Church. Precisely because it shows the truth of the Catholic Church and that truths do not change with the culture. And our Lord's promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church in the very context of him giving his own authority to Peter and the apostles to bind and loose, which is to teach on faith and morals. And the Catholic Church, which was established by Jesus Christ, will always proclaim the lordship and gospel of Jesus Christ, regardless of the world's trends, while other churches will change major doctrines of Christianity to keep in line with the current cultural norms that inevitably invites moral relativism and cultural decay. And that is a world that is fallen from the grace of of Jesus Christ. So, further expressing this truth, in 1968, Pope Paul VI released a very, very prophetic document. That document was called Humanae Vitae, which means of human life. This papal encyclical was released right in the midst of the acceleration of the sexual revolution and after the release of the birth control pill, which was released in the year 1960. And this document, Humanae Vitae, beautifully and clearly taught and teaches about God's plan for married love and the transmission of of life. Pope Paul predicted, or really prophesied as they all came true, many catastrophic consequences from the use of contraception or birth control. And I'm only going to talk about two of those prophetic statements, but there are many others. The first prophetic statement that I wanted to talk about is he says that with the use of contraception, there will be marital infidelity and a general lowering of moral standards. And the second statement that he says that's very prophetic is this, men may forget the reverence due to a woman and disregarding her physical and emotional equilibrium, reduce her to being a mere instrument for the satisfaction of his own desires. So these are both prophetic, so prophetic, because we have seen since this time, since that time in the 1960s, this exact bad fruits of contraception happen in our culture and they continue today. And we're so used to it now, it's not even shocking to the world. But contraception has led to the widespread increase in adultery, increases in divorce, increases in abortion, and the breakdown of the family itself. Contraception leads to all of this because the very thing that's being communicated with contraception is that I don't want you to your partner and to the child. We have lowered sex all the way down to just being recreational and merely for the satisfaction of one's own desires and pleasures, just as Pope Paul VI said. And as this increased, infidelity in marriage and in relationships increased, which has led to an increase in divorce. So we see this huge ripple effect, right? And this ripple effect, I believe, has led to a decrease in married young people in my generation. Because we see people getting married and then divorced, and we don't want that. We don't want to get married just to get divorced as we've seen growing up. So my culture, my generation has struggled with commitment. We don't want to commit to anybody, so then we don't fully commit But at the same time, our hearts still desire to be loved. And so 
at the exact same time that our generation is not committing to others, we still all want others to commit to us, which has led to the very culture of hooking up and the movement of living together before marriage, which shows that reality of we don't want to commit, but we want to be committed to. We want to live like we're married, but not actually be married, right? And it's because this wound that at the very root of it is contraception. So currently in our culture, we have single people that behave like they're dating, dating people who behave like they're married, and married people who behave like they're single. So this vicious cycle against the family today It is horrible. It's from the evil one attacking to destroy us as human beings made in the image and likeness of God. Because if if families are destroyed and ripped apart, then our world is destroyed and ripped apart because at the very foundation of the entire world and the dignity of human beings is the family. And further on these prophetic statements is that contraception has proven to lead to the objectification of women. Increases in pornography, increases in sex trafficking, and many other horrible issues that we face today in our culture. Jesus said on Holy Thursday and at every single Mass that we go to, when he instituted the Holy Eucharist, his body, blood, soul, and divinity, he says, this is my body given up for you a self-gift. And contraception changes that by still saying to someone, so you're still saying this to somebody else, but it changes the words to say, this is my body, which is for me. This gets to the very heart of the matter and the woundedness that this all causes. Contraception and the culture that it brings tells people, especially women, that you're not good enough to be fully loved, but just to be used. And contraception leads to the culture of cover-up that we now live in. And what I mean by that culture of cover-up is that the culture does not address underlying issues, but rather just covers up the consequences or the bad effects of something. For example, we have contraception because we want to freely have sex for pleasure and not have kids, which further leads to viewing kids as a consequence and a burden rather than a gift of love which further leads to the culture of death and abortion because at the very root of contraception is the communication of, I don't want you. So just to highlight the significance of this getting all the way to that extreme point, there's been over 60 million legal abortions in the United States alone since that time in the 1960s. And even in this year alone, even though it's a decrease, this year alone, there will be nearly 850,000 legal abortions. To put that number into perspective, the number one cause of death in the United States is heart disease, which kills nearly 200,000 less people than abortion does this year. And the next cause of death is from accidents or homicides that kill a combined 230,000 people every year. So that just shows how significant the issue is getting all the way to that point. But really the cause and the underlying root of the of this cause, this effect, is due to that communication of contraception of I don't want you. And all of this is going back to the very first sin of our first parents of Adam and Eve. It is trying to become God without God. In other words, we want to make our own reality which from the very beginning has always led to the destruction of our very own identity because we already have everything we need as children of God, but we want to grasp for something else and it naturally destroys relationships with each other, with God, and even our very selves. 
And this is the cause or bad fruit of every form of contraception, whether it's the pill, a condom, an insert, or even pulling out. It's the communication of, I don't want you. Because in the act of any of those uses of contraception, you are saying with my with your body that I love you, but also you're saying, I don't want you because I'm rejecting your fertility, I'm rejecting your body, and I just want to use you for the pleasure that this that this is bringing me. And so it thwarts both the unitive because you're not fully giving yourself and the uh, and the other's not fully receiving you. You're rejecting each other, so you're not even becoming a union, let alone thwarting the procreative uh, aspect and end of sex, right? But lastly, on the use of the birth control pill specifically, the pill itself has horrible side effects to women including hormonal changes, the suppression of an entire system of the body. We would never do that to any other body. But with contraception and the birth control pill, we are suppressing an entire system of a body. The birth control pill is also a classified carcinogen from the World Health Organization. A carcinogen meaning it causes cancer. It also thins out the lining of the uterus, causing future fertility issues and struggles as it becomes difficult to carry a child all the way to term. So it causes many difficult issues. And since we're on the topic of the medical side effects of the pill, let's just briefly talk about it, okay? So a doctor may recommend the pill to a woman who is having physical or or hormonal issues, but the pill doesn't actually address the problem. It's just covering it up by making it more tolerable or bearable. But it doesn't actually cure or solve any of the underlying problems. Example, Being with a woman who has severe cramps uh, and the doctor gives her the pill and that pill actually lessens the pain, right? It makes it more bearable bearable and comfortable, but it's actually not solving the underlying problem. We're just giving something to cover it up. And oftentimes birth control is making it worse, right? Because of all those natural bad side effects that it does have, including like the thinning of the lining of the uterus, right? So the very first thing to do if there is a medical condition going on is to find something that will actually address the issue. So work with a Catholic doctor or go to the Catholic Bioethics Center, which is available 24-7 and has free consultations. And they have professionals that work specifically on all of these issues of sexual morality. And they will give you the correct answer for any tough situation. Um, I'm going to leave the actual website in the the show notes. So go check it out if you do have questions or anything related to these topics. But lastly, let's just say that the only way actually to help a serious issue is the birth control pill. The church actually says, okay, if 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 you have exhausted every single option and you are not using the pill to directly thwart the act of love in the marital act, well then yes, like you need to take care of yourself. But it can never be used intentionally for the direct thwarting uh, in that marital act when it thwarts the those natural ends of self-giving love of procreation and, uti- and unitive. So from there, we talked a lot about the issue of contraception in this episode. And I'm not going to go into detail on all the other ones, but I wanted, and it naturally comes up, this this issue of contraception because it highlights the very underlying issue and root cause of all other sexual more issues, which at the very root of it is the thwarting of the ends of the natural ends of marriage and sex, which are for the union of the spouses and procreation. And when those two are not together, the act 
becomes disordered and love itself is contradicted. So marriage and sex is naturally ordered and divinely revealed to those ends of being unitive and procreative in a free, faithful, full, and fruitful gift of self to another, namely one's spouse, that reflects that total self-gift of self of Christ to his church. And it illuminates that principle that illuminates the teachings of the church that include the call to chastity for every single person with the grace of Jesus. Whether you're single, you're dating, you're married, or you're religious, we are all called to be chaste. That is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We are all called to chastity. And chastity is simply the virtue of fidelity and right order of sexual intimacy, right? So whereas celibacy is simply not being married or engaging in sexual activity, specifically priests and religious take a vow to celibacy for the sake of the kingdom of heaven in accordance with Jesus' call in Matthew 19, 12, where people make themselves celibate for the sake of the kingdom. And it's always this beautiful reminder of the true marriage in heaven, right? So, and all of this further expresses that when this principle of complete self-gift is thwarted, Our human nature and love itself is contradicted and can lead to the using and abusing of each other as objects and we even begin to lose our own identity. And just as contraception disrupts the very natural ends of sex, namely the unitive and procreative ends, so too do all other sexual moral issues that we have today. This can come through contraception as we discussed in this episode, but also um, those ends of sex are thwarted and therefore it's wrong. That happens when there's sex before marriage, there's pornography use and masturbation, same-sex activity, or in vitro fertilization and many other issues. And in vitro fertilization, some people have heard it as IVF, um, which is essentially the making of a baby in a laboratory in a Petri dish. So obviously it thwarts that unitive aspect of sex because there's no union involved at all. It's down to just a scientific experiment or a science laboratory creating another human being. Still made in the image and likeness of God. And because at the root of all of this is the direct thwarting of the unitive and procreative ends, right? Um, just a topic that I think deserves more attention than the other ones. Uh, we're going to briefly talk about this really quick. Same-sex acts. Same-sex activity are intrinsically wrong since they can never be unitive, a full self-gift, or procreative. And therefore, when sexual activity happens between between same sex, between the same sex, it thwarts that natural ends of the sexual act and it uses the body against what it's designed for, right? And that's why the church can never it can never even say that two men or two women can get married to each other because that's not marriage in and of itself. Marriage reflects that full self-giving love and two, two members of the same sex can naturally not do that. It's thwarting both unitive and procreative. Um, so same-sex acts are wrong, but those with same-sex attraction are called to holiness just like everybody else. And the church has this beautiful teaching on this. And to highlight this distinction between same-sex attraction and same-sex activity, let's look at some other examples to put this into context, right? So, for example, a married man who struggles with lust over other women, that's not his wife, he has a disordered attraction. That attraction is disordered. But this man in this example, with that struggle, he is called to cooperate with God's grace 
in order to overcome that temptation, overcome that that attraction that is disordered because to act out on it is intrinsically wrong, right? He should not act out on it even though he has this attraction that's disordered for another woman that's not his wife. He should not act out on it because it's still intrinsically wrong because it cannot be a complete self-gift and it totally disrupts that faithful aspect of his marriage, right? Because his marriage is supposed to be free, faithful, full, and fruitful. So another example, let's say a man who struggles with pornography or masturbation. His temptation may feel natural for various reasons, but he should not act on it because it's intrinsically wrong and it uses others and it isolates himself. These natural feelings of love or affection for another uh, person in all these aspects, whether it's a friend, whether it's another girl, uh, uh, another person that you feel love or affection for, or you're even attracted to, those are very good things. Those are rooted in our hearts. But in our weak and broken nature as human beings that are broken, it becomes really easy, and especially in today's hypersexualized culture, to have those good natural feelings become disordered and begin using people as objects. And just to clarify, this is not saying that the person is disordered or has a disorder, but that the attraction or the impulse is disordered. So the person with same-sex attraction or the person who struggles with lust or pornography, your identity is not in that struggle that you have. So you don't you should not label yourself as something that you do because you're not a human doing, you're a human being. And especially don't label yourself as something that is intrinsically wrong. And that unfortunately is the position that our culture puts us in. The culture says, okay, if you experience same-sex attractions or any uh, attraction, that's who you are now, that's your identity, and now you have one of two options. Either it's gay shame or it's gay pride. Either hide it out of fear that if anyone knew you had it, they would hate you and be bigoted against you. Or come out and embrace your sexual attractions as your own identity and do whatever you want with your body. And so many people are in the middle of those saying, well, I don't want to act out in this way. I don't want to get rid of God, but I also don't want to live in shame because it's not something that I chose to begin with. It's the same even for people attracted to the opposite sex, but experience a feeling of lust and not out of love. The culture says that that's your identity now. You have two options. You're either a weird virgin because you suppress any sexual sexual urge and are probably probably miserable, or you come out and embrace your sexual urge as your identity and do whatever you want with your body. So in short, the world says you need to pick a side, which ends up being one of two options. Either you're really messed up for having such uh, uh, the, such feelings and should be ashamed, or that your feelings become your identity and should express it however you feel. I've heard it said this way, the two options are either it's hell all the way to heaven if you hide it with shame, or it's heaven all the way to hell if you express the attraction completely however you want. But the church says it's neither, that you shouldn't hide from those feelings or feel ashamed about it, but nor should you act on those feelings or impulses. How sad it is that our culture has created camps or distinctions that segregate and isolate us from one another because of this. Either, Even if you don't experience those feelings, it seems like we have to pick a side too, that we have either two options. You're either, you're either a bigot who says God hates gays, which no, God hates your sign and that statement because there's no truth or love in that statement. Or you're on the side that not only embraces those attractions, but encourages them to become their identity, their cause in life, 
and their lifestyle, which are the very things that lead to human decay and are the things that Jesus condemns. And why does Jesus condemn anything? Why does God hate sin? Because he loves you. Because anything apart from our identity in God, it doesn't hurt God. It hurts us and it hurts our, and it hurts and takes away our happiness, our joy, our freedom and life um, that he has to offer us, right? So these are both lies from the world that those are the two options. And it's the very, it's the very first lie of uh, ever told to a human being is that your identity is something outside of you being a perfectly loved child of God. Your, your identity is not these sexual attraction, attractions. Attractions are merely feelings and experiences. They are not your identity. Anyone who defines their identity by their sexual attractions is going to be is going to get confused extremely fast, right? Because any man just traveling who sees a beautiful woman that's not his wife, is that his identity? No. Your identity is not in anything else, no attraction or feeling or whoever you feel like you are. That is not your identity. You are a beloved child of God that needs God's grace just like all of us do to overcome temptations and sin in, in our lives to become the saints that God desires us to be. Uh, we all struggle. Even the person who is who has a struggle with lust, a struggle with pride, a struggle with fear, a struggle with money, a struggle with gambling, a struggle with addiction. We all need God's grace, but to act out on any of those uh, any of those wrongs is wrong, right? We have to cooperate with God's grace, and we need to cooperate with the truth that is revealed, right? So we have to be working towards those natural ends, and especially with the revelation of Jesus, God becoming man. Uh, God is love, and we are swept up into that love, so we have to act in accord with the way, the truth, and the life. And a quick side note here, there are canonized saints who struggled with same-sex attraction and lust. It is the power and grace of Jesus in our lives. And that is the answer to all of these problems. We all need radical conversion to Jesus. Every single day, we have to make the decision that we are going to be turned towards Jesus, the one who overcame temptation, sin, and even, even death itself in which sins caused in the first place. He is the one that overcame. He is the one that conquered and he shares that victory with us that when we walk with Jesus, we can overcome and become conquerors in him, with him, and through him over temptations and sin. And he is the answer. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus' name is God saves. And St. Paul says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable time. So every single day is right now, every single moment, turning on fire, conversion towards Jesus, and he is the one who saves. The Savior saves, and it's today that we can walk in newness and fullness of life with him. We love you, Jesus. Set our hearts on fire for you, so let us share your victory that you so long for us to have. Isn't it so crazy that even Jesus, after he resurrected from the dead, he still said it wasn't enough? He said, do not hold on to me. I still have to ascend to my God and your God and my Father and your Father, and I will send you the Holy Spirit because it is in the Holy Spirit that we share Jesus' victory. Praise you, Lord. More Holy Spirit. So uh, to wrap up this show, I uh, just the last little thing, I have also put a lot of resources in the show notes or in the, in the notes of the podcast. And in those resources, you're going to find a lot of books on marriages and topics, 
on marriage and a lot of topics, and also resources to websites um, for anybody struggling with lust, pornography, same-sex attraction, or anything, including uh, if you need help talking to your children about this, if you're a parent listening to this, these are are great resources, especially Made This Way by Trent Horn and Layla Miller. But go ahead and check out all of the resources at the bottom of this, uh, of the in the show notes, talking all the books and a lot of things that we even covered or talked about in um, throughout this episode. But it's all covering these topics, talking to your kids, uh, and even help within marriage. The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, um, and then the websites include Restored Ministry. That's Matt Fred's ministry. Covenant Eyes to help um, hold accountability between friends who are struggling with any pornography or any lust or anything like that, there's a website called Courage, CourageRC.org for those with same-sex attraction. And just a general incredible resource is Chastity.com, and I think anybody would find that very, very helpful. And all of this has been extremely scratch surface. This has been a very high level just talking about the fundamental principle and the underlying root cause or the underlying root issue Um, of all these topics, but we're going to dive deeper in the future when I can get Napoli on here with me too. But until that time between now and then, I have a link at the bottom in the show notes to another podcast episode on Matt Frad's podcast called Pints with Aquinas. And the episode is with Matt Frad and Jason Everett talking in a ton of detail for a good two hours regarding all of these topics. And it's not a slow two hours. Like both of them are funny, outgoing, and they're extremely, extremely well-spoken. And uh, they're both professionals. This is what they do. They work directly with young adults in the world, both men and women, because uh, I know a lot of the examples I shared were primarily talking about men struggling with stuff. But, um, but these issues that we talked about and all these topics do not affect just one gender. Um, so they talk about both men and women on all these topics from on chastity, pornography, same-sex attraction, gender identity, birth control, AIDS, modesty, and dating. Um, I, it is going to be so helpful. I, I highly, highly, highly recommend anybody listen to that episode um, on that podcast. So go ahead and check it out in the show notes. So, All of this is to say that good news of Jesus Christ and his church, that the truth is proclaimed unashamedly, beautifully, clearly, and it is to give us true life, joy, and freedom. And we can live out that call to holiness with the grace of Jesus Christ and his church. You are perfectly loved. You were created out of love. You were created to be loved, and you were created to love. Your entire essence of being is for love. God became man to die for you and himself on a cross shows you the very price God paid, which shows you the value that you have, that you have eternal value, that you are worth dying for, God says. And we fully receive and encounter that very pouring out love of Jesus at every single mass. So please come to Jesus in the Eucharist, the true eternal bridegroom that is longing to reveal himself to you so that you can find your true self in him.